comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and as always this is abe hello out now is a film podcast with abe and i discussing new movies weekly however this is our uh, this is the second part of our special bonus episodes regarding the academy awards this is the 2013 academy award special Part, Part two. two. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, previously, you might have heard uh, Abe and I, as well as friends of the show, Maxwell Haddad and Mark Hoban, predict the Academy Award winners for this year's Academy Awards. Academy Awards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allow myself to introduce myself. myself. And uh, so um, now it is a Monday night. That's the night after the awards ceremony, and we have all the winners, and we have the results of our competition. But we have, uh, we have some other things to do as well, so... Uh, First off, to uh, introduce our guest that we have this evening, joining us to discuss the Academy Awards winners as well as, well, we'll get to that. We have a writer and author of the book, Who Won? An Irreverent Look at the Oscars from 1927 to 1943, the man who was drunk dialed by Anne Hathaway last night, Robert James. Good evening. You are a lucky man, sir. (laughs) Drunk dialed by Anne Hathaway. She, She called you first. It was, it was third, but you know, it's, (laughs) yeah, first my bubble. But uh, yeah, Robert's here, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk with him about his book later on in the episode. But uh, Robert, I just wanted to let you introduce yourself here, actually. Just to... okay, uh, my name is Robert James. I'm a teacher and a writer, and I have a book that has been published called "Who Won: An Irreverent Look at the Oscars, Volume One, 1927 to 1943." It's the first of a series that will cover the history of the Oscars, but also goes through year by year and argues over who should have won uh, in each category, and who should not have won. And it's also a uh, yearbook to the movies and what was happening in America at the time, as well as uh, it's kind of a nice, handy list to have of movies that maybe you've never seen and movies you really should never bother seeing, <laughs> as well as, I hope, uh, an insightful and funny look at these things that we happen to love watching so much. Yeah, great. that's uh, that's great. And, yeah, we're going to talk with you more about uh, your book later on in the episode, but let's get to... Uh... Let's get to a few things first. Here we got a uh, first off, I um I put up a question on the old uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, and on the Twitter page, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Could I plug that even better? It was that just like Oh, that was fantastic. That was like okay. seamless. I thought so. And, it just uh, rolls off the tongue. It did. It, ro- it rolls right off all of those words. <laughs> but um, I asked um our you know, our listeners and people that follow those pages, um, what they thought of the Oscar ceremony last night, and uh, we got some got some responses here, so I'm just gonna kinda go through some of them here. We um first one's from Izzy. Uh, he says, uh, I'm still drooling from over how hot Anne Hathaway looked. So well, there you go. Uh, did he get a drunk dial? 
<laughs> uh, we'll have to we'll have to reconfirm. He, is he, we'll is, he, to is he respond to this podcast whether or not you got a drunk dial from Anne Hathaway? There you go. <laughs> and what number it was if you're like number five? Because <laughs> he know, he would know this. He would. Because all she would say is, "Oh my god, you're the fifth person I dialed." But, uh, that's how she sounds. True. <laughs> <laughs> that's how she sounds. She, she reverts to Valley Girl. We are so mature. Here's the next one. A little better. Um, this is in reference to William Shatner's appearance on the Oscars. Um, am I, this is from Ban- Brandon Peters, friend of the show. Am I supposed to watch the 2013's Oscars opening now between Undiscovered Country and Generations when doing a Star Trek marathon? I like that one. That made me laugh. Um, and uh, this one's from John Van Dyke. Uh, he suggested um, that he would discuss how often the Oscars don't pick a movie these days that will go down as the barometer of, for that year. Uh, he doesn't think that Argo, the artist, and especially King's speech will be will be known as the uh, the standard bearers of these years. But uh, however, they still do the best job of at least getting close. The Oscars do still do a best job of getting at least close on nominees. So maybe we shouldn't cry too much about it. Okay, <laughs> that's something that we can discuss later. That's yeah. a good. That's a good topic for sure. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, we have another another message here from Ashley Stauber. Uh, please discuss the social media backlash about everything. And that's in all caps. caps. Everything. Every, every, Gary Oldman. Everything. Now. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, to address this briefly, I mean, Twitter was a buzz last night. That's what I can say. <laughs> and, of course, there's all the articles this morning about how good of a job the Seth MacFarlane did, of course, hosting the Oscars and how, uh, how well the ceremony was in general and, you know, the various presenters. So we can get to that in our next thing, but I just yeah. want to let's see, put one last thing out. Marcus Robinson wrote up a, a wrap up of the uh, of the Oscars as well, and I'll put that link to that in the show notes actually, just because I'm not going to read his whole thing there. But uh, I think he was slightly underwhelmed. Would be my kind of takeaway from how he wrote it, but somewhat pleased with the with, with a lot of the winners, especially Beast of the Southern Wild, a movie that he wildly praises every chance he gets. Of course, Marcus Robinson is not here to defend himself, so that's too bad for him. I'm here. <laughs> But I'm not going to say anything. Okay. <laughs> he he also suggests that people could stop talking about Beast of the Southern Wild now because it's it's, it's finally past that time. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that we on out now with Air today are going to make every effort to mention Beast of the Southern Wild at least once every episode for the next year. I think. Wait, what was the movie you just mentioned? Beast of the Southern Wild. Of oh, course. okay. Gotcha. One one of the best movies of last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just so mean to Marcus for high five. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's just get into it. Let's get into the ceremony last night. Uh, Abe was, of course, unfortunately unable to watch the ceremony, I believe, because you were just you were busy, right? That was, I was busy. Yep. Yeah. But uh, Robert and I, we did uh, watch the uh, the ceremonies, and uh, so I just guys, Robert, Robert, what was your kind of overall thoughts on this, the ceremony and just kind of a brief thought? I think it's going to be one of the ones we largely forget. There really wasn't anything that stood out. There weren't any major mistakes. There weren't any major embarrassments. There wasn't, uh, really, until you get to Daniel Day-Lewis, there really wasn't a thank-you speech that hit any major buttons in the audience, particularly. Um, there were some nice moments, Shirley Bass singing Goldfinger. Once her war- voice warmed up and got a little going, she really got into it, and the audience got into her. That's probably one of the highlights. Barbara Streisand coming out, singing uh, The Way We Were, hit a lot of the older audience, although I have to tell you, uh, the biggest laugh I got all night was when my friend James tweeted that uh, it's eerie how much Barbara Streisand now looks like Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they Babs. Mel Brooks. <laughs> I felt bad for Mel Brooks. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have fun watching the Oscars mainly because I, I'm like double fisting Twitter and Facebook at the same time while watching what? them. What? But, um, <laughs> you what? Phrasing, Archer. Um, thank you, Abe, because references are always best when you ex- exactly explain what you're referencing. Some people right might after not you understand do, it. Right after you do it. Um, Phrasing. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a longer ceremony. That monologue felt especially long. Um, the opening um, monologue? I heard that was like 17 minutes. It was a long one, and I I mean, overall, McFarlane, for me, I gave him a strong decent. But, uh, yeah, I would... I was expecting you to say something else, like, it's a, it's a strong decent. I was, I was, uh, you know, I had, there was some laughs, a lot of, a lot of misses. Uh, I would agree that it's a fairly forgettable ceremony. I was a little... I was a little irritated that it was, like, called the ceremony that was going to celebrate, like, music in film, and we didn't really get much celebration of music in film, it seems. We got a big number of Chicago, because... Way too much of Chicago. Because I guess people loved Chicago from ten years ago. That was, I guess, the only reason they brought it up. And then they then we had Jennifer Hudson sing from Dreamgirls, the movie that people still talk about today, of course. And um, then, there, then the Les Mis cast came out, and... At least Russell Crowe got a chance to prove himself once again, so that was nice. I actually enjoyed Russell Crowe this time around more. Yeah, I was wondering if that was like a jab or something. <laughs> yeah, he, was, I, he did better here in like the ten seconds he had by himself on stage than most of the movie. But um, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of singing, but um, I I kind of thought there'd be more focus on music throughout the history of film, which is what you'd set up when you say that we're gonna honor the music and history of film at the Oscars. The best use of music on right was using the Jaws theme to play people off the stage. Yeah, which was pretty hilarious the first time. It was <laughs> it also very sadly ironic, given that they were talking about Rhythm of Hughes, the visual effects company, as the Jaws theme came. There's just, uh, it's probably an article I can link to in the show notes about how weirdly hilarious and sad that is since Rhythm and Hughes went out of business. But, um, or bankrupt, however you want to call it. Um, anything else about the Oscar ceremonies in general? I'm trying to think. That struck a chord. There was a tie. I mean, that's something, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's only the sixth time it's ever happened in the history of the Oscars. And, uh, yeah, okay. If I think of something else that we're imagining, <laughs> I'll just go over it. So let's, uh, let's just get into the winners. So the night, uh, just gonna kind of. Kind of speed read through all of them, I guess. And if anyone has anything to say, we'll just go through it. I'm going to go backwards here, then I'll announce the winners of the competition. So um, let's see: best short film live action, Curfew; best short film animated, Paperman; best this is just random order I have: best visual effects, Life of Pi; best sound mixing, Les Misérables; best sound editing, Skyfall; tied with Zero Dark Thirty; best cinematography, Life of Pi; best film editing, Argo. Best production design, Lincoln. Kind of an upset, which is a weird thing to say, but it's kind of an upset. Uh, best yeah. makeup and hairstyling, Les Miserables. Best documentary short, Innocente. Best documentary, Searching for Sugarman. Best original score, Michael Dina for Life of Pi. Best original song, Skyfall from... What is it? Skyfall. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> best costume design, Anna Karenina. Best adapted screenplay, Argo, Cristerio. Best original screenplay, Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino. The T is loud. Um, best foreign, <laughs> best foreign film, Amor from Austria, directed by Michael Haneke. 
Best Animated Feature Film, Brave. That was kind of unexpected, but at the same time kind of expected. Uh, it was kind of expected. More disappointing, yeah. I think, would be the word I use. <laughs> yeah. um, Best Supporting Actress, Anne Hathaway from Les Miserables. Best <laughs> Supporting Actor, Christoph Waltz from Django Unchained. Best Actress, Jennifer Lawrence from Silver Linings Playbook. Boom. Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis from Lincoln. Best Director, Ang Lee for Life of Pi. And Best Picture of the Year, Argo. From producers Ben Affleck, Grant Heslov, and George Kloonster, the Clooney. That's what they Were you guys surprised with the Best Director? Uh, director, I, I wouldn't say I was surprised necessarily, but it's nothing that made me upset at all because I really like. Yeah. It. It's the kind of the same with like like Django for for best screenplay. I'm just or uh, Waltz for best uh, supporting actor. It may have messed up my uh, prediction, but I'm very happy that it won. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely, I think it was the biggest surprise of the night. And honestly, I think what happened is that people got so angry at Ben Affleck not being nominated that they knew that Spielberg was likely to win, so they looked for anybody else in the ballot who wasn't Steven Spielberg that they knew, and there was Ang Lee. I haven't seen the movie, but and I'm going to um, see it very soon, but it just seems to me that that was the biggest surprise, the one that nobody was expecting, and I think it's a backlash against the Academy not nominating. So Lincoln got affleked. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading on Twitter, I was kind of taken aback, too, um, primarily because I, I didn't think that Ang Lee was going to win. I mean... I'm with Aaron. I'm happy that he won. I'm happy for anyone in that category that won. Also for Best Adapted Screenplay, which I had a hard time choosing. Adapted Screenplay? Yeah. Yeah, because basically all those were very fine films. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, Supporting Actor was the one that I was most in. That was the first award of the evening, so I almost could have just turned it off after that. But it was like, that was the one where, like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, I was legitimately, like, just what's going on? And oh, there we go. Waltz. All right. Christoph Waltz. I mean, the the real joy, I think, is that Flight didn't win anything. I mean, that's what I. <laughs> I mean, Academy Award nominated Flight. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like I won. That's it. <laughs> no photos of you running around naked in your neighborhood. Well, Paranor- so... Paranorman didn't win. I. Well, I was. I made it. I made it very. I did. I never said naked. I don't know what Abe's assuming here. I just said I'd be running through the streets. And I and Jim Neat, friend of the show, wanted a video of me doing that if Paranorman were to win Best Animated Feature. That didn't happen, unfortunately. But that w- I would have, I would have very so, very much so done that. Um, let's see. Let's get to the uh, the winners of our competition here. Let's do it. Yeah, here we go. Right, I'm done. waiting for you to call my name as okay. first. I will call your name as a first, the first person to be mentioned because you got last place in this competition. Boom! Um, with with ten wins, with with ten predicted winners. How many? How many categories? Twenty four. Twenty four categories. That is. Yeah, that's in half. It's, it's pretty terrible. You'd almost have to try to do that bad, I think. And try, you seem to have done. You made so many random choices here. <laughs> were you? Were you? I was st- going with my gut for best original well, you, song. You kept saying you stuck with your guns, but I'm pretty sure your guns are very dirty and rusty. Because I don't. I'm just saying that everyone's <laughs> best friend. All right, everyone needs a best friend. You, and according to Twitter, Nora Jones looked beautiful last night. She did look. She was super cute last night. I was really happy with Nora Jones. And, but you you went with that song as opposed to the one that everyone <laughs> knew was going to win, Skyfall. I love that song. Uh, that's great. I like that song, too. You also want to get Searching for Sugar Man, one of the other near locks of the night. I, I don't remember what I chose in that category. The Invisible War. Oh, right, right. Well, that's because that that's a more 
that's a topic that I think people should pay more attention to. That's great. That's great that people <laughs> should pay more attention to it. <laughs> you chose yeah. you so you chose it Asante, right? I like that one. Thank you, because I watched the trailer and I was very moved by it. But then you just randomly chose Henry for live action short, which was the best. I don't think that I watch any of those trailers. Yeah, what what are the other random ones you got? I, I, did I choose Henry? Yeah. Yeah, you 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 chose Henry, but you wanted <laughs> Death of a Shadow to win. Neither of those <laughs> had any buzz going in. Curfew is my real choice, but I was I was haphazardly choosing these. The best the best one though, choosing a Royal Affair for best foreign film. That was that was key. Well, what can I say? I mean, that was based on somewhat true events. A royal affair against the, the grain of Amor, the, the the basically the truest lock of the night. That was that was a bold one. I uh, I had a bold ballot, and I'm gonna stick by it, even though it only and that's great. Sure, I might be the laughing stock, but I will have been true to myself. You're not the laughing stock. I I love you. <laughs> Always will. Aww. A little e-hug. In, uh, in third place, thank you. In third place, we had uh, Maxwell Haddad with 16 predicted wins. A good number, a good jump ahead of Abe. Laughing uh, to Maxwell. Yeah, good that, job, good that, job, Maxwell. Yeah. Um, let's see, and then we had uh, Mark Hoban came in second place with 17 wins. Mm. And uh, he made some good ones. What really messed you guys up? Hairstyling. Makeup and hairstyling. <laughs> I that, think that Mark Hoban tweeted it at you, right? <laughs> you, yeah, you did. You guys went for Hobbit. Maxwell went for Hitchcock. I stuck with. I went Les Rob. They hairstyled <laughs> Anne Hathaway, drunk dialer Anne Hathaway in that like in the movie, and that that basically pulled yeah. the win for me. Like it, yeah, they, they loved it. And because I yeah I got in first place. I had 19 wins. I think that might be my record actually for predicting the Academy Awards. I was kudos to you, sir. Damn that Christoph Waltz though, right? Oh my god, Christoph, two-time Academy Award winner, Christoph Waltz. Yeah. Yeah. Damn that Christoph Waltz. <laughs> did a great job. I'll video yeah. scene. That's not what you say, but all right. That's good <laughs> enough. Hey, what was the movie that uh, that didn't win anything but was nominated a lot and uh, had giant boars? Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild, I think you're referring to. That's a good movie. That's... Who's the guy that didn't like it? <laughs> I, I didn't say we had to refer to Marcus Robinson every time. I just said we had to refer to Beast of the Southern Marcus. Wild. Um... He's not going to listen to this. <laughs> but that's the, uh, those are the winners, and I'd... So uh, I'm just gonna pull Robert back into this one. I know uh, he, uh, Robert, you have not seen the Academy Award win uh, nominees this year for Best. No, I've been too busy watching movies from the '50s and writing my third book. So I actually am. I'm not proud of the fact that I haven't seen a single nominated film other than The Avengers uh, and The Hobbit, which my kids uh, wanted to go see, and we did, and enjoyed both of them. But uh, no, I have not seen any of them. So I boldly made predictions simply based on what I thought the Academy would always do, given the type of film that it was. And of the nine predictions I made, I got six out of the nine. That's, that's very good. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. It's better than Abe would have done. A- uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that percentage is, is quite high. It's 66.7%. Yeah, if I was playing baseball, I'd be making $20 million a year. Yeah, it'd be a money-walling baseball. Brad Pitt would like want to make a movie about you. Well, it's not such a good thing then. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope you uh, you know you get to check out some of the. Uh... Oh, I'll be watching all of them this summer. Cool. Great. Um, let's see. Any uh, any other thoughts on the winners, Abe? Uh, I think that 
Not really. I mean, the two categories that kind of surprised me were supporting actor and uh, best director, uh, primarily because Christoph Waltz, I, I think he did an amazing job in Django Unchained, but it's like, ah, he already won, just like not too long ago. I don't think they would give it to him again. And boom, they gave it to him again. Uh, but yeah, no, nothing to take away really. Uh, it's an interesting one. That's a, that's a, that was a good category too. You have Alan Arkin from Argo. And I mean, I think we were almost talking down Alan Arkin a little too much last episode. I really, I, I certainly think he's very good in that movie. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I think that he was, it was, you know, he's the other half of that movie, which is the, uh, the, the levity half. Yeah, the, uh, the Hollywood half of that movie. Yeah. And then, yeah, Robert De- Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro for a Silver Linings Playbook. I really enjoyed him in that role. Like, that's one that I, that's the one I predicted to win. But, um, but, uh, you know, he certainly, he's been, not necessarily slumming it, but he hasn't exactly been, you know, hitting the roles as that you'd that you'd love to see Robert De Niro in over the past few years. He's been making some straight to DVD stuff, yeah, uh, which it doesn't really bode well. But you know, he's doing mostly comedy roles these days. Yeah, yeah he's getting fucked and meeting fuckers and lots of fucking. Um, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman and The Master—that's another fan, and I just. Another- I just rewatched The Master last night. I had to, or not last night, the, that was the Oscars the other day, because I had to review yeah. the Blu-ray for The Master. And that movie, he, the acting in that movie, between all of them, all three of those, nominated for Academy Awards, Not any, it's not easy to get act, nominated for acting. And the fact that all three leads in The Master got nominated, that's very impressive, regardless of how much we like the movie. And I know Abe and I, we were both more lukewarm yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, it was good. But, like, I think we'd agree, you'd agree, right, that the the acting of that movie is very good between those three. Yeah, people. it really is. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Amy Adams might be, like, the one that doesn't get as much screen time, but she, when she does, she does a really good job. And, again, it was, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, Joaquin Phoenix took home the Oscar for Best Actor. I mean, he put in a phenomenal performance. Yeah, that was the only possible upset I saw for Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix. Like, it's, it's just, yeah. it's just, that movie it had really no momentum, I guess, going into the Oscars. That's true. It came out, like, came out September, early Yeah, on. it came out September last year. It was, and, you know, just, it's such a, it's a more obtuse movie to kind of take a, take a handle on compared to something like Silver Linings Playbook, which the Weinsteins obviously knew how to, you know, push forward as a winning comedy, winning dramatic comedy, however you want to phrase it. Dramedy? Dramedy? I hate that word. No. I avoid that at all costs when I'm writing. Uh, Isn't the movie more or less a take on L. Ron Hubbard and the Scientologists? I mean, that's kind of the idea of it. Yeah, that's where they've been saying that it's kind of basing its its, uh, storyline on. Um, And for something that does touch upon that, I mean, nothing is ever really said in the script that says, hey... Let's call it Scientology, or hey, let's uh, you know whatever. It's never really mentioned, but it's basically just uh, something that you can infer, I guess. But that's something that's it, a, certainly in the background of the film, but it's not a movie right. about a certain you know belief cult structure. Whatever that's you want to very true. It. Yeah. yeah, it's not in the forefront. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just right. know far too much about Aaron Hubbard than I should. I've read an awful lot of his correspondence with Robert Heinlein, the science fiction writer. Ah, uh, so I'm curious to see what they did with him. And um, actually, just to point out the mound, the master on the Blu-ray for the master, there's a um, there's a bonus feature that has um, it's a, an old movie by John Huston, like an hour long documentary about the about World War II veterans that were suffering post traumatic stress disorder, which is what Paul Thomas Anderson largely based the movie around, or basically got a lot of inspiration around, which is uh-huh. Joaquin Phoenix's character, and that's it's a really interesting watch. You actually see hypnotherapy going on for on soldiers from the fi- in the fifties 
You know, that movie was banned for a long time. The, the, the military did not want it shown. Oh. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well, because it's one of the John Huston films I haven't seen. Yeah, it's an interesting watch, for sure. And uh, <laughs> rounding out the supporting actors, since we're talking about them still, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, everyone knows, I think, that that's a performance that I loved. I, I really that's, liked uh, That's what I was gunning for. Yeah, uh, yeah, you and Mark were both gunning for that, and I wouldn't have been surprised to see that win, nor upset, just because that was my... That was the one that I, I would have liked to see win. Well, here's a question for you both. I mean, if uh, if he had won, would his frown have turned into a smile? Well, actually, <laughs> you, you didn't watch, but but uh, Tommy Lee Jones he cracked up right at the beginning of the Oscars. Yeah. That that is a lie, sir. It is not the first, the, literally the first <laughs> joke of the evening involved Seth MacFarlane saying that he was on the quest to make Tommy Lee Jones laugh. Cut to Tommy Lee Jones, and he was laughing, and everyone <laughs> and everyone pretty much applauded right then. So it was Seth's proudest moment of the night. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> the universe is now back in balance. Right after that, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tommy Lee Jones just like took a took a Corvette, drove on the freeway with uh, Roger Deakins filming their mini movie of them getting drunk and sloshed around town. So it was, it was really important. <laughs> uh, they all lost. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and then yeah, Christoph Waltz and Django Unchained, which it's that's an interesting just because he's he's basically sharing a lead performance with Jamie Foxx in that film when you think about it, and it's. It's a it's a role tailor made for him. There's a, I can see why you you'd elect that to win, and, and he has won other awards for it. But uh, yeah, a rare thing to say, or not a rare, but like an interesting thing to see an actor win, you know, twice recently right. in the same category from the same writer director of a film. Like that's yeah, that, that is an oddity. Yeah, what was that? Was Tarantino's win? Was that considered, I guess, um, an upset or you know something that was. Uh, no, he was going okay. in. He, uh, he, he, him, and he and uh, Michael Haneke from War was probably the only. Those two were the ones that were Mark Bull, I guess, also for Zero Dark Thirty. But like the uh, Django, I mean, that won the BAFTA. It won uh, a couple other awards. I can't. I don't have them off, on. Okay. I predicted that one because I thought that the Academy writers have often been braver uh, in their in their choices in other other uh, categories. So I really thought that. Quentin Tarantino is most likely, especially since he wasn't getting some of the other nominations and awards, people were thinking he wasn't going to win, so that was one way to make sure he got something. I see. It, oh. it, was, it was really interesting to see him just get on stage and just rub it in Mark Bull's face for beating him to Hurt Locker a couple years earlier. <laughs> that didn't happen. But if that, oh, <laughs> that's, that's that sounds like something Tarantino would do. He didn't, he didn't personally attack another human being while on stage at the Oscars, but, but if he did, that would have been the thing to remember the Oscar for. Um, That's a good question. Was there anything memorable about this Oscars? I know that, um, Robert, you had said that it's probably forgettable, but was there anything that kind of stood out to you that's that's going to signify this 85th Oscar? There there are things that – I'm thinking of some more things now. There are things that I'm not necessarily thinking that will be remembered for all time, but things that stuck out to me were like one is how they kind of bundled – how they kind of messed up the Bond tribute. There was, uh, there was a, lot of rip, a lot of rumor about getting all the Bonds together to be on stage at one time. And, uh, you know, have a celebration of James Bond since it was the 50th anniversary and all. And that didn't happen. And what's kind of largely believed is that Sean Connery basically said no because he doesn't, oh, have, he doesn't have a great relationship with uh, with being Bond as much as uh-huh. as much as Harrison Ford doesn't like talking about, you know, anything. And um, that's <laughs> that's how I relate those two because they're, you know, they're, they're father and son, don't you know? Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Nick. Yeah. Well, plus Sean Connery hasn't done anything visually for – 
quite a few years now. He's, yeah, he's retired and rumors involving his health. Or, yeah, I would think some of his health is... Uh, so, is you know, flying to Scotland to the Oscars to stay in on stage for two minutes, uh, whatever. But, um, yeah, so basically that that didn't happen. And so what they did instead is they brought, like, the third worst Bond girl, Halle Berry, out. And uh, she introduced this Bond montage, which was a really terrible montage. I oh, mean, horrible. Like, uh. you have a character like James Bond who's been around for 50 years and has many memorable lines and many different actors playing him. So you think they'd have, like, I don't know, every single actor saying the line Bond, James Bond, and show some highlights from each of the films or something. But, no, instead it's just a lot of action beats, uh, mostly from the newer movies, and no dialogue whatsoever, and not really an acknowledgement of what the Bond series really is. Uh, just kind of the goofiest stuff possible to show in a Bond montage. So it was, And then... It almost redeemed itself because Shirley Bassey did come out, my preferred Bond girl, and, you know, she sang Goldfinger on the stage and everything, and as Robert said, she, her voice warmed up, and she got, you know, really into it, and, and that was that was pretty neat to see. But at the same time, it feels like there's a lot more they could have done with a Bond tribute. Uh, like, they're trying to do music. Why aren't they not bringing out other survivors and bring out Paul McCartney and Tina Turner and do a whole, you know, blow everybody away that they've got the big guns singing these songs? Yeah, like there's there's a it seems like it seems like there's a lot of things they could do, but they just kind of scrambled and got the best they could, kinda at the last minute. They could have got a bunch of Bond girls come out. They could have had so many things happen. They could yeah, they could have re- referenced a lot of the other songs. They could have did a medley of Bond songs, four of which are done by Shirley Bassey. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> that's overkill, man. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that was that kind of stuff. All right. Oh, it was interesting seeing all the Avengers come out to present the uh, best visual effects Oscar, only to have them beaten by Peter Parker's father, Richard Parker from Life. Richard of Pi. Parker. Yeah, <laughs> Richard Parker from Life of Life of Pi beat, yeah. beat the Avengers. <laughs> there you go. Um, That's what they get for not including Spider-Man in the Avengers. <laughs> And uh, what I thought was funny with the Avengers is, like, it seemed like Robert Downey Jr. and Sam Jackson, who are standing on the ends of each other, like, they're both wearing, like, really nice suits that feels like they want to dress themselves. And, like, Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, and, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Jeremy Renner. They came out, and it felt like their moms dressed them. Like, that's that's what it sounds like to me. We have to link a photo of that. I I don't know what you're talking about. I will, but basically Sam Jackson has, like, this really nice red jacket, and Robert Downey Jr., I mean, he's Tony Stark. He knows how to he, – and he's Robert yeah. Downey Jr. He knows how to dress himself and, you know, have some style. The other guys are just wearing straight tuxes and did a kind of – And Thor was nowhere to be found. I don't know where Chris Hemsworth was. He must have been Probably filming Cabin in the Woods Part 2. Or Thor 2. Still Thor in. <laughs> yeah, that's more likely the case. Thor 2 still Thor in. Um, <laughs> see, anything else about the Oscar ceremony? I don't really need to talk about Jennifer Lawrence tripping. But I will say that seeing Bradley Cooper and Wolverine try to help her back up makes them the true superheroes of that night. Oh, hashtag nice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a huge Twitter tweeter. Not a huge Twitter twitter? Is that no? Oh, no, that's what I said. <laughs> I would have liked to see Rodriguez at the Academy Awards. Uh, he wasn't there for Searching for Sugar Man, but that would have been cool. Let alone, once again, if he performed a song, that would have been cool. Like that. Didn't he like on carpet now? Isn't he selling carpet now? What is what is his profession? Um, it's probably a revitalized music career. I think that's what they call his profession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that would have been great if he was there, but he like has something else to do. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, good segue into 
get into our next thing. I think we're just going to kind of wrap up the Oscars there. Congratulations to me, I guess, because I won the Oscar That's competition. That's cheating. I mean, you just have to pick better, Abe. I will say that yeah. I do have I do have a mini Oscar that I was going to send to the winner, by the way. I guess you're just going to keep it for yourself. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I am. I mean, I, I knew I wasn't going to send it to you, that's for sure. But Oh, you could, and then I would just actually send it to, like, a random fan of our show. Yeah, well. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, Anyhow. let's talk with Robert a little bit about his book. And, uh, Robert, you want to say the name of the book again? Just keep plugging it away. Uh, sure. The, the name of the book is Who Won? An Irreverent Look at the Oscars, Volume 1, 1927 and 1943. Great. And, uh, yeah, Robert was kind enough to, uh, you know, ask me if I wanted to take a look at it, possibly provide a review, and I've since uh, gotten a copy that I am going to review for whysoblue.com uh, once I kind of get through it, and I have uh, I have started it up. It is, uh, it's a bit lengthy, and I've had less than a week, so I hasn't, haven't been able to, you know, read through an entire book of this. So book, what you're saying episode. is you're, you're done reading it, and you're, you're, the review is going to come out tomorrow. That's it's not what I said at all, but I, but I, I have I've, I have gotten through the first the first couple chapters here, which are what you, I mean you you could explain it as well. But what you've done is you've kind of you you lay out each Oscar ceremony, and um, you kind of lay out where where things took place, who the winners were, and what have you. Then you kind of ex, you go into what the Oscars kind of got right, what they got wrong, and you add your own thoughts on what what films could have taken what films could have taken the wins, should have taken the wins, and what have you, and you. And I really, I really like how it's kind of spread out so far, and it, it makes for for a guy like me, I can kind of breeze through this stuff pretty quickly. This is the kind of information I eat up, and so I, um, I, I feel once I get like a once I get a chance to really sit down and just kind of go through it, I'm gonna burn through a lot of this book pretty quickly. But I, I have kind of glanced up, you know, ahead just to see what I'm getting into for the rest of it, just because I want to have. I want I want to look at some specific years basically. I was like, what's going on in 1941? Because that's a good year. But um, well, I designed the book so people could read it from start to finish, and certainly certain themes build that way. But also, I realized people are going to jump to the year they're really interested in, and they're going to be looking for their their movie they thought should have won a particular category, a particular year. But this was really a project that I wanted to read. I was always looking for. I love those Oscar snub articles that seem to come out every year or two and you watch the Oscars and the first thing you're saying yourself is I can't believe that one. That shouldn't have won. How could they do that? And how could they not even nominate this other fellow? And you really get upset because the Oscars got it wrong. And so this was my attempt to sort of go the distance and go further than anybody else ever has and go through year by year by year, category by category, although I do leave a couple of them out for a couple of different reasons. But essentially what one really involved take was on each year, and I actually go through and watch every single film that's available that was nominated. There are a few that are lost, and there are some that are just impossible to find because there's only one copy left in the world, mm-hmm. usually buried someplace in Britain. And <laughs> I go through a whole lot of other films, anything that was worthy that year that some critic or some history mentioned or that I happen to know about or friends recommended, I watched them all. And took notes on each one and then went through and tried to figure out, well, of the performances this year, of the cinematography this year, which one should have been nominated that wasn't? So to do some shout-outs to films that really should have been recognized for their quality, which one should never have been nominated and often were because of studio politics or because of them jittering at the rules or whatever the case may be. And because often these things are just simply popularity contests, 
more than they were any recognition of worth. And then really try to point out which of these different movies and actors and cinematographers and art designers and so forth and so on should have won and try to make a, a compelling case for the films I thought should have won, should have been nominated. In your research, Robert, have you found anything that, uh, I guess, any any themes that have been compelling? Like, wow, there's been a lot of snubbing of X person or, you know, there's a, there's a, a, an awful lot of these types of pictures that are winning or that are winning. And um, have you found anything like that? Well, I, I do think that the Academy likes movies that make them feel good about themselves. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of patting on the back going on with the Oscars. Um, they tend to go for the safe choices more often than not. They tend to go for the movies that don't challenge the status quo, um, except for in the safest possible ways. There's uh, certainly a lot of, well, we really like you. You've been around for a while, so we'll give you an Oscar. Even though this performance wasn't really that good, we're going to give you the Oscar because you just sort of stuck it out for a long time. Or we really should have given you the Oscar for the movie you did last year, but we were too dumb to pick up on it last year. So oh. here's one for a movie that's not as good, but hey, we really love you. And that's, and then early on, I mean, the, the whole Oscars were rigged the first two or three years. They had five or six people picking who was going to be nominated and who was going to win. And it wasn't really a voting issue at all. I mean, Mary Pickford had the the voters come out to her house, pick fair for some tea, and lo and behold, all of a sudden she had a nomination. She won for a movie that everybody hated. <laughs> so there's just a lot. And then, you know, the studio heads start to play the game of telling their employees who to vote for and who not to vote for and which one they're going to plug and which one they're not. And then later on, the stars start getting into that and hiring publicists to where, mm. you know, they're pushing for this movie and, you know, a lot of it's just politics, and it's just, as I said, popularity contests, and it's really, we like you, we don't like you. Like, for instance, Walter Brennan, the first three or four years of the Best Supporting Actor category, he won three out of the four that he was nominated for, because wow. the Extras Guild really liked him because he had been an extra. Hmm. And for a few years, they allowed the Extras to vote, which gives you some really, really, really bad song winners. You get some really, really, really bad, you know, wins for, you can't believe, and it's, Brennan said it, it's because the extras love me. So there's a lot of things that are going on that I pick up on and try to point out um, throughout the book. Yeah, it's interesting, and like I, you know, you pick up a lot of, and like I, I consider myself a fairly big movie book, but like, you know, I'm, I just certainly don't know tons and tons of history from way from far further back, and so getting to things like, down there, you know, the early 30s, late 1920s, you think things like, um, um, what's his name? Sorry, Lon Chaney, who, um, here, just read, I was just like, just reading about Lon Chaney and like his kind of how he, he's, you know, not winning, or, uh, did he? No, he didn't win anything. He was never nominated. He was never nominated. Yeah, that's what I'm sure. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, you know, kind of, it's kind of surprising to see certain actors that were never nominated or like ones like Lionel Barrymore who like never win, despite the fact that they're considered some of the greatest actors of their, of their day. And it's just, it has a lot of those kind of interesting tidbits, as well as you know your own opinions, which you add a you add a level of humor to it, which I think makes for makes it makes it a good read. I've been enjoying it so far, and it's and that's been part of the the great fun of it is making myself laugh and hopefully other people <laughs> laugh as well. So this is just a book I wanted to read, and nobody published anything like that that I've been able to find when I started these things, and so 
it just, the more I got into it, the more fun it's been. And I just have literally obsessed over this for three years. And my wife keeps looking at me like, remember me? I'm married to you. Where are you? <laughs> and so we take time off and, uh, you know, go was, off and be. I was just husband. about to ask if, like, uh, you know, your wife, like, comes and see you and you've just got this giant beard because you're just locked away in your, in your den <laughs> just watching movies all the time. It's like, well, yes. away. <laughs> like, more or less, it's what's been for time to time. But you know, my family gets involved. My kids have watched a lot of these movies with me, especially my son, who's really gotten more and more interested in this. The older he's gotten, he's he's going to be twelve next month, and he is he, Boris Karloff. He just loves Boris Karloff hmm. and the old science fiction films and the old Universal horror films and the Marx Brothers. My daughter absolutely adores the Marx Brothers, and so it's been a family thing. And my wife just kind of looks at us and like, "When are you going to get to the movies I like?" And I like it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> Gone with the wind is coming. The romance is coming. The good people are coming. So, yeah. and uh, now Abe, you brought up a brought up a good question of whether or not you see any patterns. And Roberts expressed that you know there's a lot of Academy just kind of picks what they uh, what was popular, what they like, where <laughs> what represents them well. And um, again, like I, I'm certainly more familiar with you know the winners of today and you know the '90s and '80s and reaching back you know fairly far enough where my mind can still comprehend it without being like overloaded with too much information of movies I just haven't seen all of. So knowing that it seems apparent that history does indeed repeat itself because we are still kind of in that era where you have people winning Oscars, you know, now and fairly recently that have proven themselves otherwise in the past, but just never received recognition. Martin Scorsese for The Departed seems like a good example of that. And it's exactly. And so I'll be curious to, you know, continue reading on in the, in the book and in the following volume as well and see how, how that continues to carry on if we continue to see that same sort well, of Well, my prediction for best actresses, whichever one of these actresses cries the most <laughs> or drinks the most or overcomes adversity the most. And and it's apparently uh, the woman who won for several uh, linings playbook, that's exactly who what she did. There, there's a considerable amount of sexism in going into the kind of women's roles that win Oscars, and whichever one cries the most gets nominated and tends to win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if you're a man, if you can play a drunkard or a drug addict or somebody with a physical or mental disability, you're more than likely going to win. Well, thank God for Honest Abe, who was able to overcome the adversity of, <laughs> of watching Denzel Washington, all right, okay, stumble his way through another role. But he did get nominated. He did. It's true. Yeah. So, drinking is a good way to get a nomination as an actor. So did Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, who who makes all alcohol out of bread, paint Moon thinner, shy. and whatever he can get his hands on. Exactly. <laughs> Mouthwash. Yeah. Robert, how many hours would you say that you spent on uh, on all your research so far? I mean, including watching all the films and just outside research, either reading or traveling to to go to like a library to go pick up one copy of one movie. <laughs> Well, I, my, I, one of my friends joked the other day, you know, when somebody asked you how long it took you to write this book, tell them 45 years. Uh, but that was just for the first one. Um, <laughs> I've seen most of these films over my life multiple times, so I'm coming to this with an enormous amount already in the back of my head. And actually, that's been a trap because your memory of films you saw 15, 20, 30 years ago can play you really false when you go back to watch them again. Yeah. And the film you thought you saw isn't there because you just have become a completely different person because film changes over time. And it's really astonishing to me how many films I really loved when I was younger. And I watch them now and I'm like, damn, I was stupid. 
<laughs> when I was 18, or I can't believe that. Like, the Karate Kid has really aged badly hey, in hey, the hey. cinematography <laughs> we're, we're and in the way it's presented. <laughs> so we but, the, like but it. it's still a fun movie to watch, <laughs> but you can't believe how fake it looks compared <laughs> to what you thought it was when I saw it when it first came out. There, yeah. there are certainly movies that I've decided not to revisit just because I know I won't appreciate them the same the Power way. Rangers movie? <laughs> Well, no, that movie is a classic. I mean, come on, I I watch that as often as I watch. I did ooze. That's a movie I watch as often as I watch *Pieces of the Southern Wild*. It's just so good. There you go. But to answer your question, uh, for the first volume, I watched almost a thousand films. Wow. And not all of them made them into the book because many of them I would have liked to go down and track down the last remaining copy and burn it. But um, so nobody else will go through that pain and suffering ever again. But. I spent a lot, my local library is my drug dealer, and I have been there so many times, I know all of my librarians by name, and they know me by name, and I thank them by name in the book. Um, I've, it's wonderful how, I mean, Netflix has been inescapably important, um, so has Turner Classic Movies, which has saved me more times than I can possibly count. The, in fact, the second volume is almost done, I've been waiting for two films, and Turner Classic Movies scheduled them for this next week. Oh, cool. So I'm very grateful to them. But I've also read hundreds and hundreds of books over the last 30 years and gone back and revisited dozens of them to get no ideas of, of uh, think movies that I may not have seen uh, before. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything as I'm going along. But I've, I've probably spent um, a good three or four hours a day um, mm-hmm. for the last two and a half years. And when vacation hits, I'm a teacher. So when I get my summers off and my vacation, that tends to stretch out an even longer periods of time so it's been an enormous investment of time and it's been a labor of love and i've really enjoyed doing it and had a good time and i'm looking at you know another four or five volumes before i get it up fairly close to the the present day i don't want to go all the way up to the present day because i think that you need about 10 years or so after a movie's been out to really start to get an idea if it's something that's going to stick around right yeah, I understand. It's yeah. worth watching 20, 30 years from now. The test of time really is the most important factor in these decisions. For sure. That's why we look so fondly on Chicago, the movie we can't really talk <laughs> about <laughs> to today, 10 years later. Yeah, we look so fondly. Uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or Crash. <laughs> Everyone loves Crash. I don't think anyone's ever expressed any disinterest in the movie Crash. Who's Paul Haggis? <laughs> I think that's a, uh, that's a, that's a delicatessen. Oh yeah, you seen 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 in the film Brave, I believe. I think they ate a lot. They <laughs> ate a lot of Paul Haggis in Brave. <laughs> well done, sir. Well, Robert, you also um, it looks like did you self publish this? No, this is done okay. through a small press. Variations of the theme. I considered seriously self publishing, but uh-huh. um, there's still, I think, a patina of vanity press feel for self-publishing and i thought seriously about going to a major publisher and i probably could have found a publisher a year or two or three years into it but right now publishing is collapsing yeah it is destroying itself uh, as the music industry did about 10 years ago um they're they're literally the everything i've ever learned about being a writer and how it works and needing an agent going to a publisher that entire structure is in full-on collapse and agents are furiously scrambling to find a role for themselves because what they've always sold is access to the publishers well 
the publishers have always been there because you needed access to the distribution networks, right. you needed access to the brick and mortar stores. Well, brick and mortar stores are vanishing. Barnes and Noble is the last major one left, and they just announced they're going to be closing about a third of their stores over the next two years. Correct. And really, Amazon.com has radically changed the nature of book publishing. And now that the New York Times is actually reviewing self-published books for the very first time, um, it's just a matter of deciding which route to take. And there, there are more pathways to publication now than there have ever been before. Certainly, if you publish it in this great giant ocean of books that are being published, it tends to vanish if you mm-hmm. don't find an audience. And so finding an audience is something that happens. But unlike traditional publishing where they may put a little bit of money into promoting your book, but essentially if you don't hit bestseller status with your first or second book, they're never going to publish you again. Right. I know an awful lot of writers who've actually had to start all over again and to assume names simply to be able to get another book published. Because once they've gotten labeled as somebody who doesn't do a bestseller, uh, then they can't get another contract. And yeah. publishers are snapping up so many more rights, especially ebook rights, and it's making it very difficult to deal with, you know, people are drowning in New York in the publishing industry, and they're grabbing onto everything they can. And I didn't really want to go there. I could have done the self-publishing thing. I have enough anally retentive English teacher friends who, you know, <laughs> would have been perfectly happy to be the grammar police and go right. through point out my faults and errors, and some of them did that anyways. But it's I have an editor, I have a publisher, and uh, the whole nine yards, and um, it's a small press, but they're growing, and they publish primarily historical uh, books, but also science fiction, particularly hard right. science fiction. It's variations so, but, of the theme press, and the uh, editor and publisher there is Deb Hodek Rule, and she's just been wonderful. Cool. So, so when Aaron is going to compile all of his reviews into a giant book, are you saying that he should go to a publisher? No, um, I'm saying, given the fact he already has a fan base, uh, certainly self-publishing is a is a good option for him. It just depends on what he wants to go. There you go, Aaron. That's you need to have somebody read over your manuscript be a professional editor, clean up. Because the biggest problem with today's publishing world, the way it is on Amazon, is that too many people are publishing stuff that nobody's gone over and corrected the spelling and the typos yeah. and the errors and the grammar and made the, you know, done what an editor is supposed to do, which is make the book a better read. Mm-hmm. And so the more people you can have with eyes on your book, and it's astonishing, no book gets published without mistakes in it. It's astonishing what little mistakes creep through even after all these eyes have been on it. And that's one of the nice things about the way it works now on Amazon is that you can refile the thing and the next print copy that is printed out or the next Kindle that goes out will have the corrections in it. Well, and so we're in kind of a self-correcting world now, which is which is a good thing as well. Well, I, I of course, have two goals in life. One is to have the first book that was ever written without any errors whatsoever and there's always only one edition the other the other of course is to have a book that's comprised solely of semicolons so there's there's no periods there's no question is, is marks. the title going to be beast of the southern wild no abe it's going to be beast of the southern wild 2 still beast ah, semicolon semicolons. honestly i think william faulkner beat you to the book with nothing but semicolons so damn it faulkner 
Wagner! <laughs> As he screamed into the rain. Yeah, we're just like, looking up to the heavens, shaking our fist. Um, the uh, the current book is online, of course. It's available now. And uh, do you have an idea of when the second volume is going to be released? My publishers just accepted the second volume. I'm just waiting to see the last two movies. Um, she's scheduling it for a July release, and that will cover 1944 to 1952. And the third volume we're hoping to have out by Christmas, uh, and that'll cover 53 to 62. Great. And when you release these, do you go on any book tours? I mean, you're down in Southern California. Is there anywhere where anyone can listen to you or ask you any Q&A? Well, I certainly have a uh, website, um, rjameswho1 at wordpress.com. And my publisher has a website, too, variationsinathemepublishing.com. I'll get you the exact addresses. Cool. Yeah, but sure, yeah, provide government. all those, and I'll put those in the show notes for sure. Right. Episode. But um, I'm working on uh, – the problem is a lot of brick-and-mortar stores have vanished. Um, I do have a, a bookstore in Long Beach that's uh, offering to do a um, author event with me, and I'm going to be finalizing that, and I'll let you guys know when I get that information. Okay. I'm also uh, making contact with uh, the local library and working my way to find the person who – schedules these kinds of events um also obviously i mean promotion for a book really lives on the internet these days so i god help me broke down and started a twitter account a couple months ago and <laughs> now i'm a twit with everybody else and i tweet and i twit and god knows what else and blogging which is you know a new experience and that's you should been... have your children do all of that and just take the credit for it. There you go. That's the way to do it. <laughs> they, they know how to speak that hip jive that all the kids are talking know, about yeah. on the internet. <laughs> Yes, that's true. I'll I'll be beast and sweet and tight all at the same time, yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, once again, the book is called Who Won? An Irreverent Look at the Oscars, Volume 1, 1927-1943. Let's get into what we're going to talk about on next week's show, since we're uh, kind of winding down on time here. Um, next week, Abe and I are going to discuss Jack the Giant Slayer, the... Um, the new film from Brian Singer um, about Jack the uh, the Giant Slayer. <laughs> he kills giants, slays them, in fact. And um, now, Robert, normally on the show, we, we try to predict what we think the films will make at the box office that next weekend. And um, so we're going to have you participate in our game of predicting what the box office is going to be. It's okay because because right. Abe is just as terrible as, as everybody else is on this. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to read. I'm going to I'm going to give you guys an idea of how things go. I'm going to read some some movies that have opened in March. And various other times, they kind of have similar themes. So I have like 10,000 BC opened to 35 million. Uh, let's see, The Mask of Zorro opened to 22 million. Prince of Persia opened to 30 million. Hidalgo, oh, that's a movie. Hidalgo opened to 18 million. Uh, Shanghai Nights, 19. Man in the Iron Mask, 17. So, you know, on that kind of, that's it's kind of the range you can go with there. Is anything else opening this weekend with it? Lots of things, actually, apparently open with it this weekend. Um, what else do we have? We have 21 and Over, starring Jeff Chang. Ooh, you, Jeff Chang. Do you know yeah. his name is Jeff Chang? Because his name is Jeff Chang. Pizza of Southern Wild Jeff Chang? <laughs> Jeff Chang. Um, <laughs> let's see, The Last Exorcism Part 2, one of the most hilarious titles of the year. Right. <laughs> um, and one of the better posters so far, oh I guess. God. Um, Phantom, a movie that I think no one knows what that, what that exactly? is. It's a submarine thriller starring Ed Harris, David Duchovny, and friend of the show William Fickner. Oh, wow. I, I would have thought that it was like, you know, like the Phantom Part 
too. Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, but it's a movie with William Fichtner. So, like, I feel like I'm obligated to see it now. And it is a, you know. So it's not a sequel to the guy in purple tights. It's also not a prequel to. There's Fan- no Billy Zane in it. It's, uh, yeah, which I like the movie. It's also not a prequel to Phantoms, which Affleck was the bomb in. Yo. <laughs> um. Let's see. Also, in very limited release, we have Stoker. I just want to point this one out because it's from the director of Old Boy and the Vengeance, the rest of the Vengeance trilogy, uh, Char- Park Chan Wook. Old Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance, all those are movies that I really love, and I actually saw Stoker already and would recommend it for anyone that can find it. Uh, the premise of that film is his first, it's his American debut, actually. He's a, he's a North Korean filmmaker by trade. Um, Korean? No, yeah, sorry, no, why did I say North Korean? That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, that was South Korean filmmaker. I mean, wow, he got out. He got out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the film stars Mia Wasikowska, Alice from Alice in Wonderland, and um, and Nicole Kidman and Matthew Good. And basically, it's kind of a it's kind of a Hitchcock, De Palma type thriller that uh, revolves around some. A family, Mia Wasikowska's father just passed away, and her estranged uncle moves in and might have some nefarious plans in store for the rest of them. It's a lemony snicket. That's that's Mia That's one way to look at it, except it's a, her role. except it's a, she's not in that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, it's a hard R and very well directed. But uh, okay. there you go. But yeah. Lots of things coming out next weekend, but Jack the Giant Slayer is in the most theaters and 3D and IMAX and all that stuff. So, Abe. I'll say Jack the Giant Slayer first. Jack the Giant Slayer is PG-13, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I will say that was first place. I'm going to go kind of low. I'm going to say about uh, 22 million. 22 million. All right, Robert, you got a guess for me? Well, you know, there's been this whole slew of these kinds of movies, and once upon a time, the TV series just pretty much did Jack the Giant Slayer. So I'm gonna say people are getting tired of this. Fifteen million. Fifteen million. Do you have a, like a, a place you think it'll get? Like oh, it'll probably be number one because none of the other movies you said is the kind of thing that teenage boys go to see. Okay. And um, gosh, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can either go low or high. So I'm gonna I'll just wing it. I'll go I'll go a little I'll get a little higher and I'll say twenty four million. Mm. Jack okay. style. <laughs> in real time yeah. we'll see if that pans out and uh, yeah so those are our predictions for next week's uh, next week's film Jack the Giant Slayer which Abe and I and whoever we decide to have guest guests on that episode will be uh, reviewing and um, hopefully we'll get Bill Nye right right Abe that'd be great science guy? Bill Nye oh, <laughs> oh Bill Nye he's okay. not busy right he's not busy being an actor <laughs> that has nothing to do with no no that. yeah he's, he's just doing a lot of British stuff I just know like, he voices like the, the two-headed giant in that movie, but, which is like I think the one thing that has to be excited about Jack the Giant Slayer. Why can't we get the about a boy boy? Because he's busy. He's making warm bodies Nick too. Listen. So warm. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's gonna do it this week for out now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as at whysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews. You can also follow me at twitter.com/slash/aaron's ps3. Abe, you can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com/slash/walrusmoose. And uh, Robert. You can find my blog at rjameswho1 at wordpress.com, and my books are available on amazon.com. Uh, just type in the words who won, and I've trained Amazon Amazon's little machine to find me. Great. What's your, do uh, you, you want to put your Twitter out there as well? Oh, R, at rjameswho1. rjameswho1. Great. 
You can of course find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron. <laughs> you can of course find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, also at hhwlod.com. You can find all the newest episodes there, along with the other shows available on that podcast network, talking about games and comics and other fun stuff like that. Uh, outnow.podomatic.com. You can find most of the newest episodes there and some exclusives. Uh, the YouTube page. YouTube.com slash Podcast, where you can find the main reviews of the week. Uh, if you don't want to listen to any games or anything like that, usually around 20 to 30 minutes each. Uh, outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can feel free to email us. Let us know what you think of the uh, you know the Oscar ceremonies, your thoughts on the winners and what have you, or even, uh, you know, if, you know if, you, if you happen to check out Robert's book, let us know what you think of it. Or, uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yes, love to hear back from people. Sure. And, of course, you can follow and like our pages, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. We have all the updates and what have you there. And, uh, you know, we love interacting with the various fans and followers of those pages. So, you know, feel free to have at it. That's going to do it This for everything else. Yeah, so, Robert, thank you for coming on and talking about your book with us today. And thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, until next time, that's going to do it. So, so long. And goodbye. Words are lazy, my thoughts are hazy, but this is one thing I'm sure of. Everybody needs a best friend. I'm happy I'm yours. You got a double who brings you trouble, and though you're better without me, everybody needs a best friend. I'm happy I'm yours. A fool could see decidedly that you're a ten and I'm a three. A royal breed is what you need. So how do you come to be stuck with a bummer like me? You got a head full of someone dreadful. But how the someone adores you? Everybody needs a best friend. I'm happy I'm yours. could see decidedly that you're a ten and I'm a three. A royal breed is what you need. So how do you come to be stuck with a bummer like me? Oh, you've got a head full of someone dreadful. And yet alas, that someone adores you. Everybody needs a best friend. I'm happy I'm yours. Just a clown, and I'll bring you down. But you just don't care for your best friend is me. Korean? No, yeah, sorry, why did I say North Korean? That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, South Korean filmmaker. I mean, wow, he got out. He got that. out. <laughs> <laughs>